Welcome to Simply the Best Results Podcast. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones. Today we have Courtney Clark with us. Courtney is the luckiest unlucky person in the world. After a series of major struggles beginning in her mid-20s, she built two successful businesses and authored two books. Her most recent book, The Successful Struggle, Powerful Techniques to Achieve Accelerated Resilience, is one of her best-known books. Courtney has worked with people who want to adapt faster and achieve more. She has spoken to groups worldwide, organizations like Procter & Gamble, Dell, S&P, Humana, Cisco, and Cardinal Health. Please help me welcome Courtney Clark. Hi, Cheryl. Hey, Courtney. So glad you're with us today. I'm so glad we coordinated our wardrobes. (laughs) Ta-da! Lovely. It's great minds thinking alike is what it is. And also having very few things that uh, you can wear on top with yoga stretchy pants on the bottom. <laughs> oh no, I outed our secret. So much for professionalism. <laughs> I'm just talking about myself. I okay. make no claims about what anybody else has on. Mine are stretchy, but they just, they're not yoga pants. So let me just say that. Okay. <laughs> they're like, whatever, like, they're not even leggings. Anyway, enough about the wardrobe. <laughs> Let's talk about you, and that's why we're here today, and a little bit maybe about resilience, because if there's anybody in the world who has more resilience than you, I don't know them yet. (laughs) Well, that's very kind. It's hard-earned. I tell you what, I think that's the thing that I have learned about resilience through living through my life and also researching it, um, is that this idea that resilience is like this natural born innate quality, like, like being a peppy person, um, that's false. But it's good news, I think, for all of us, because it means that it's not exclusive to just always being happy, to always being an optimist, um, that there are skills and, and strategies we can practice. How do you define resilience? I mean, and we'll back up in a minute and talk about why I think you have resilience and why we both know you have it. But how do you define resilience? My definition of resilience is a skill set that allows people to move forward and keep growing in a situation where other people might feel up against a wall or Mm -hmm. might stay up against a wall. Mm -hmm. Uh, And like I said, it's, it's, really all about the long-term pattern of behavior and not about a short-term emotion or attitude. Um, because I have bad days, I, you know, and, and I can tell you about some of the worst of those days when my resilience was completely drained. Um, but it was those moments that really allowed me to think critically about how, am, how have I done this in the past and how can I do this again? Because I need it now. And we all need it now. And if it's a skill set, it's something you could draw on. You don't have to count on like adrenaline or, you know, a positive attitude when you don't really feel like a positive attitude. Right. That's so important because I do think that, um, you know, optimism is something that's more of a natural inborn trait and the positive attitude being a, you know, an upbeat person. Um, And so then if you think, oh, well, I wasn't born like that. Okay. I guess. I give up. This isn't for me. That's not true. There's no reason to have to give up. So there's so many things that factor into resilience that feed resilience. 
Um, and then you find what's your door, which one is your way in and you work that one. That makes sense. Cause it sounds like what works for some doesn't work for everybody. You know, totally. yeah. Just like everything. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about why you have resilience because you have you you in your opening or in your description um, intro, we talked about you being the luckiest unlucky person in the world. So you know what's funny? Why I have it? I first noticed my resilience when I was twenty six, um, because that's when I was diagnosed with cancer. And that was the first of three times that I would be diagnosed with cancer. But I was just the other week talking to my dad. And I know that he taught me resilience before that. And I had forgotten. Because we were talking about, we were talking about something from my childhood. And the way he would talk to me when I had a problem with something or someone. Mm -hmm. And he would always say, oh, well, what have you tried? Ah. And well, I tell well, I mean, well, I haven't tried anything. You said, like, oh, well, what do you think you could try? What else? And I was like, Dad, you were doing exactly what my research says helps develop resilience. Um, and so I'm I, now I can look back and realize that that's where it came from um, because I do think that a lot of times as as parents, it's so tempting to with our kids either solve the problem for them which we, you know, we know now that's helicopter parenting. You shouldn't do it, but gosh, it's still tempting sometimes. Yep. Or, you know, I, I also like, I have lots of friends with little kids right now. And it, it's also tempting to then veer to the other direction of them solving their problem and say like, just deal with it yourself. You know, you're, you're a big boy. You can handle this. Um, and so I think where my dad aimed right in the middle of, you know, listening, not saying, you know, go do this yourself. Because um, I read a really interesting article, not specifically about developing resilience, but how interesting it is that we often tell our little kids, like, go fix it yourself. Go, go deal with it. I don't want to hear it. You know, mm -hmm. go, go, go solve this problem with your sister or yourself. I don't want to hear it. But then somehow we're shocked when they turn into teenagers who don't want to talk to us. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's... Insight. That's <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but I think where my dad steered is like this listening and asking questions. Mm. What, what have you already tried? Because within that question is also the assumption that I have tried something that I have already attempted to solve it myself. And that's displaying something that is one of the features of resilience, self-efficacy, mm. right? This belief, like I can, I can do this. So if I hadn't tried anything, then I'm like, oh, I'm embarrassed. I haven't tried anything yet. Um, and he's, and that reminds me next time I should try something before mm -hmm. I come to my dad all helpless. So that's, I learned it from my dad. And then I really drew on it, um, in my twenties when I was diagnosed with cancer, because I realized, you know, you don't have a lot of choices. Um, when you're 26, I didn't choose to get cancer. Right. And what I realized is that I had to focus on what I could control. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was, okay, uh, I'm going to choose the right doctor. Now I'm going to choose my treatment option. You know, I couldn't choose to not have cancer. I couldn't choose to, I couldn't choose a whole bunch of things. Right. I couldn't go back in time, but 
I could choose these couple of things. And so that's that concept of, you know, self-efficacy, or it can also be called locus of control. So it's like, you know, what can you control or what, what can you not control? So, you know, for people who are religious, right, that's the serenity prayer. There you go. Yeah. And so when, when you have an internal locus of control, then you believe that you have some control over things, not everything, nobody has control over everything. But if you have an external locus of control, then you're like, oh, you know, it's not, it's not my fault. There's nothing I can do. Um, and so people who have that internal locus of control, that's one of those paths to resilience mm -hmm. to find that internal locus of control. So that's what I found. That's, that's really important because I, um, I think Covey calls it the circle of control, the circle of concern and the circle of control. Yes. And influence your circle of influence. Right. And, and the, uh, very often we are dabbling out there and messing with things that are just within our concern. We have no real control over. And that gets us, that doesn't get us anywhere. Probably mostly frustrated and irritated and, you know, um, whatever. And it doesn't move us forward. But if we stay, like you said, stay so focused on that, that area we can control, we'll be much more successful. So. Yeah, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy if you think about it, because if you're focusing then on those things that you can't control, you know, if, if you've got this external locus of control and you're all worried about those things, then that does feed into your attitude mm, and absolutely. you start to helpless and powerless and you're looking at all these things that you can't do anything about and then you're frustrated, like you said. And mm -hmm. so, you know, welcome to an endless cycle. Yes. Where yeah, at? Yeah, research shows that if you if you take one step towards doing something, you know, you tip over that first domino, and then you're like, oh, I just did that. It's one of the reasons I recommend volunteering to people as a way to help them gain perspective. Um, the research shows that I did some really neat research for my graduate program that I helped turn into my first book, and it turns out that when you give back or volunteer. Uh, it helps give you perspective, but it's actually not about what's called a downward perspective. So downward perspective is like, oh, well, you know, things are really difficult for me right now, but at least I don't have it as bad as, you know, this pathetic person over here. It's not about the, the downward perspective or the comparison. It's more about that when you, sometimes it's easier to do something for somebody else Right? You can see what somebody else needs. You can, you're like, oh, I can, I can fix that. I can do that for that person. And then you do that and you're like, I may have just changed everything for that person. That's, whoa, how powerful am I? And so you, by tipping that first domino, it starts the chain reaction for you to realize you're not as powerless as you feel. Absolutely. Well, yeah, that energy that you get from it that you don't realize you're going to get from it really is momentum you're building momentum it's that huge, huge. i'm still volunteering um you know very socially distant but one of the key issues in the community that was making me feel helpless um is food insecurity in particular for children mm. so i volunteer with a group um and and one of the programs they have not one i had ever volunteered with before but they have a program where they send backpacks of food home with kids on the weekends because these kids, yeah, so, you know, in this community, there's a huge need, very high rate of kids getting free uh, hot breakfast and free lunch at school. 
but then they have lunch on Friday and they may go home to a home that's food insecure. And what they could prove was that test scores early in the week were poor, so poor compared to later in the week because these kids would come back to school on Monday hungry. And that the effects lasted until about midday on Wednesday. In addition to test scores, they found referrals to the principal's office for elementary babies mm. were much higher early in the week than later. And within the first year of running this program, test scores jumped, referrals to the principal's office plummeted, everything evened out across the week because they weren't coming back to school with a grumbly tummy on Monday morning. Isn't that amazing? That's yeah, absolutely so amazing. We've, we, it took several weeks to get it all mobilized safely for sure. the here so that everybody could, you know, be as far apart as they needed to. And, and everybody has to take their temperature before even coming in the building to get the bins to take to the school and then take your temperature again before you go to the school. And, um, but that's something that, you know, to get back to my regular volunteer service, mm-hmm. for me, it's, it, it's not about, you know, oh, these, these people need my help. They couldn't possibly get through that. Me, it's like, I can't survive if I am not doing something to feel needed, to feel competent, um, to, to help in whatever little bit that I can, these people who are part of my community. So, so that's, that's my, my fuel, my self-efficacy right now. And it's also a piece of my normal life. Right. It's not like you just started it. I mean, right. you've been doing this kind of these kinds of things in the past that that again supports you and and motivates you and fill you fill your heart up, you know, yeah. soul basically yeah. is the way I see it. Exactly. And so now I get back get to have this little slice of normal life in my week. Mm-hmm. I understand completely. Yeah. Definitely. Well, and, and would you say that, you know, um, I believe everybody has a, a genius gene um, or, you know, there's a, there's a genius within and that genius is that, um, that talent or skill set or ability that's so unique to you um, and one that you've probably honed and grown and, you know, made fine-tuned kind of thing. What would you say is your genius? Is it resilience? Um, I would say it's almost simpler than that. Um, in that, you know, for me, I'm, I am always asking questions. Um, and, and that actually led me to this new piece of resilience that I've been researching for the past year and a half called adaptive thinking. Um, what I realized, and, and it it goes back to my dad even, um, is, that when he was asking, what have you tried? You know, what else? What else? That I realized that when we, when we take a step back and we look at things from a, a slightly different angle, um, which is necessary when we're up against a wall, that that's where the genius can come in. And so I think um, I, don't, I don't accept things at face value. Uh, I'm, I'm always you know, what, what else could we do here? Or what else could be the issue here? Um, and so that in itself led me to find this concept of adaptive thinking. And through adaptive thinking, I recognize, um, I recognize that this is a way that all of us 
could become more flexible and thus more resilient. Um, because a lot of times when we're faced with a problem or we're in a difficult situation, well, how, how do I fix this? The first response that pops into our mind is usually a, a solution that's pretty similar to something that we've done before because it's right there at the front of your mind. So it's probably pretty similar to some solution that you've tried before. And that's great if this is a problem that you've faced before. <laughs> Good point. But if it's a problem that you haven't faced before, then you're cutting yourself off at the knees by jumping to solving the problem before you're even sure that you've identified the right problem. And certainly before you've tested other solutions. So um, if it's, you know, same old, same old problem, then great, same old, same old solution, get, get going. Um, but if this is a new situation or even a new environment, right? Because if, if it's a similar problem, but a totally new environment, welcome to 2020, <laughs> then, then the solution isn't going to work in the different environment necessarily. So this is where this concept of adaptive thinking can come in that I've been researching where, you know, okay, maybe that is a solution, but what else? Mm -hmm. Right. Borrow my dad and put my dad in your head. <laughs> and what, else have you tried? what else, what else could I do here? What else could work? What else could be causing this that I haven't identified yet? I've been, since I've been researching this, I've also realized this has interpersonal uh, applications too, because a lot of times somebody will do or say something and you're like, oh, well, he did that because you know, my husband did this because, and it's like, mm. what else could he be thinking? <laughs> Besides, I really want to annoy Courtney right now. <laughs> so, I, so it's been so useful to me, just even in, in examining other people's motivations. Because we, we assume that other people are motivated just like we are. They think just like we are. And so to, to ask what else, it's just peeling apart those layers. And that's how we get better solutions to our problems, especially when they're novel problems. Regular old problems, use your regular old solutions. Mm -hmm. But if it's a new problem and you need new solutions, that's when you need this adaptive thinking. And you get it by asking yourself, what else? What else? Yeah. And, you know, I, so I, you know, I love listening to you about talking about that because I see such a um, direct relationship to relationships and using that and how often we make assumptions. Oh, he's just that way. Or she's just that way rather than asking, you know, or thinking about what might be the motivation behind that. And it could be stress. It could be uh, an unusual environment. It could be, any number of things that are causing that person to respond that way when they might not normally like it's, you know, it's kind of like the, the, well, the wonderful Titanic, you know, example of the iceberg, you know, it only looked like a little thing on the surface, but it was gigantic on the bottom. And if we don't stop to even look to look underneath to see what's going on, you know, and we run into that iceberg. Well, we're getting all of the iceberg. We're not just getting the, the small top, you know, when right. somebody loses control or gets upset or, you know, gets loud and boisterous. Well, there's probably a whole bunch of other stuff behind that. Well, it, I hadn't thought about the way that those that relationships and resilience tie together like that, but I think about it all the time. You know, there's that 
in terms of bias, where when we do something, we're, we, you know, it's attributional bias. When I do something, I'm like, well, I, I did this because it makes perfect sense that I did this. I'm really stressed out right now. I'm really tired, so I'm going to blah, blah, blah. I'm in a hurry, so I'm going to do this kind of jerky thing in traffic. But somebody else does that really jerky thing in traffic, and I'm like, you are a jerk. It's a personality failing if somebody else does it because I can't, I can't, I don't know their motivation. Right. And, and that then causes frustration in us. Um, and so, you know, for me, it's been like, I gotta let that go. I got enough of my own stress. I can't, I can't borrow your problems, whatever they are, you know, whether it is a personality failing or you're on your way to the hospital, Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to assume that you're on your way to the hospital and I'm going to wish you Godspeed. There you go. There you go. Yeah. And so it, that, you know, that they, they really do, they really overlay so well. Mm-hmm. And, and it's funny because I, people ask me all the time uh, in terms of relationships, people ask me all the time, well, how do I make somebody else more resilient? you know, my sister, my kid, my, you know, my boss, like, how do I help them be more resilient? How do I help them get perspective? And what do you tell them, Courtney? I can only imagine. (laughs) I say, good luck. Um, (laughs) You know, it's the perspective, literally, I mean, it's, it's almost there in the name that perspective is sort of a, you gotta do it yourself. Yeah. Um, that that is that is a, a DIY activity, but you can guide people. You can kind of like put the bumpers on the bumper bowling um, and help them. I I can still totally miss all of the pins with bumper bowling, um, but but you can help them. That's tricky, but okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like it goes along the bumper and then it goes into the gutter right at the end. Um, but you can you can help guide people be by. For example, if it's your kid, encourage, encouraging them to volunteer because you can't make them get perspective. Right. But if they can acquire it themselves naturally, then mm-hmm. lovely. Um, you know, for, for people who you're not in charge of, uh, you can't make them go volunteer, but maybe you can tell them stories. The one thing that I recommend that people don't do is try to give other people perspective, like trying to point out, well, at least you don't have it as bad as so-and-so because that almost always backfires. Well, what happens, well, what happens if, if somebody says, well, look at it from my perspective and then, that, you know, how well does, do you think that goes over? I think it depends on the relationship. I would agree. Um, if, if it's a relationship with a lot of trust, mm-hmm. then I do think that oftentimes um, the, the receiver can have the empathy to say, oh, I, I hadn't thought about it like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but usually if you're having a conversation about trying to help someone sort of get a global perspective on their issues, most times people don't point to themselves. They point to like, you have it better than, and then they bring in a third party. Mm-hmm, right. right. Whether that's a third party with like a name, like somebody that we all know, or sort of a general, right? Eat your peas because there are kids starving in Ethiopia. Oh, you've heard um, that too? <laughs> I did, didn't we all? Um, so, you know, that, that tends to backfire. Um, mm-hmm. but, but you can offer opportunities. 
Um, and so, you know, can you offer opportunities through stories that people can connect to and have come to that realization themselves? Because that's always stronger when somebody comes to it themselves Absolutely. than trying to tell them. It's and that's why I do what I do. And, and I tell, you know, the stories of my experience and, you know, being diagnosed with cancer three times. Um, and then ultimately, because of the cancer, being diagnosed with a brain aneurysm that was completely asymptomatic and we never would have found it if it hadn't been for the cancer. Mm. So that's a perspective shift right there right. of people going, oh, that's so weird that, <laughs> that she got cancer. So perspective shift for me and perspective shift for other people mm -hmm. uh, to, to realize, gosh, that, there's a weird other way to look at that situation that 30 seconds ago, I thought, oh man, I feel really bad for her. And oh, maybe, maybe, maybe that's not so crazy. Um, yeah. And the, you know, going through that, the brain aneurysm and the recovery from that surgery, um, that was really such a low point in my life. Mm. Uh, I, you know, everything that I, has made me me in terms of, you know, you say that I'm so naturally resilient. I was not, Cheryl. No, I was ready to give up. I was in so much pain that it's like, like I needed a different word to describe pain. Yes. That's how bad it was. Um, and I was a newlywed at the time. Tomorrow we celebrate 10 years of marriage. Happy anniversary. Um, yeah, thank you. I, we were newlyweds. Um, and you know, he, I joke that he knew what he was getting into with me because I had already had an answer. Um, but we did not know what we were in for um, with this. So we hadn't even been married a year. And we have to go through three brain surgeries together. Wow. Yeah. And I was, I, 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 I couldn't, couldn't see, had to, you know, learn to read again. Um, and like the word they were, I could see them. But everything just like, wah, wah, and I couldn't, it, it, I'm not, I was, I was in so much pain for the first about week to 10 days. And I finally told Jamie, my husband, that I just wanted to give up. I should never have had the surgery. I should have just waited for the aneurysm to rupture so I could have died in peace. Mm. And that's embarrassing because I'm so lucky to be alive. But I think it's important to talk about because I, I think that, again, if people think that resilience is about positivity, um, then that precludes ever having a bad day or a bad week or a bad month um, and it or, or precludes having depression or anxiety and it doesn't. It's literally a skill set that you can layer on top of whoever you already are. Mm -hmm. And it bolsters you and helps you. It doesn't change who you are. It, it's a toolbox that you draw from. And so for me, um, you know, so we talked about that there were different, different methods you could use. Right. So during cancer, like I use this concept of you know, self-efficacy and, and internal locus of control. What choices could I make? With the brain aneurysm, I was so, I was really low, lower than I've ever been. I felt incredibly helpless. And that's, that strategy didn't work for me. 
Wow. Different environment. This, this, those tools didn't work this time. What did you do? So what I realized in hindsight that worked for me is something called future orientation. Um, and, and future orientation is exactly what it sounds like, Mm -hmm. where you're able to foresee this too shall pass, right? Like I'm, I'm here and there, I won't be here forever. And okay, you know, I see this and then how do I reverse engineer the path from here Mm -hmm. to there? And that, that for me, that future orientation that sparked in those moments, just that little glimpse of like, you know, it is better today than it was yesterday. I still feel like a pile of poo, but I went to the bathroom by myself. <laughs> Small wins. Small wins. And that was, I mean, I won't say humiliating because I have a you know loving family and a wonderful husband, but I mean, I was 31 years old, a newlywed, and my husband had to take me to the bathroom. And that's embarrassing. Yeah. Um, I was running a business. And I couldn't go to the bathroom by myself. I couldn't shower myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, it, it, it completely resets your idea of, you know, what you're capable of as a person um, to, to rely on people in that way as an adult, mm-hmm. um, an adult who had been feeling on top of the world. And so and in control of your life and your body and everything. Yeah, know. so humbling. Um, so, so humbling when success is literally, you know, I drank a glass, a full glass of water. I went to the bathroom by myself. Um, so, so for me, that was, you know, future orientation really helped. So we've talked about a number of different tools. Uh, the one was adaptive thinking and future orientation and the one your dad contributed, which was, what have you tried? That's part of adaptive thinking. Yeah, that what else? Well, I thought yeah. it was so good. We should highlight it. <laughs> control. Yep. Oh, right. Locus of control. And then are there some other um, practices or activities that you would recommend people do to help them build their resilience? Because I see resilience as a muscle. It's something that you practice. And the more you practice, the stronger it gets within you. So what tools you have? Yeah, I think it's truly personal. Um, I, you know, I can give, I can tell you the tools that work for me, um, but they may not work for everybody else. Some people love journaling. I can't keep that up for weeks at a time. Um, but, but gratitude journaling works wonderfully for some people, specifically gratitude journaling versus regular journaling, um, is, is the one tool that a lot of people recommend because we tend to, as humans, notice threats more than we do positives and you can thank your ancestors for that because they just their brains had to be wired to pay attention to threats um so we need to call out the good things that happen to us um for some people it could be as simple as talking to friends i know i've heard a lot of people over the past couple months say you know this is horrible but i'm a lot more intentional about making time for friends and family now um I, i certainly am so I think, you know, that's something that helps volunteering is one that I use. I, you know, I give myself a lot of grace to take breaks whenever I need to. It's, it's really so very personal, but you have to know what it is for you. 
True. I agree with you. I mean, I, I would add to that list um, walking. Um, yeah. I walk one, one or two, once or twice a day, and I don't really know how far I go, but it's about 40 minutes. Um, and I just keep walking. Today, I walked in circles because I was doing a lot of processing. So I was thinking, I'm not going home yet. I've got to walk a little longer. <laughs> yep, I have. I always, I, every day, I have written down on my list of things to do. Move your body. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right? I don't, his, I walk my dog every day, you know, sometimes my husband and I have dance parties um, in the evening. <laughs> if a song comes on a TV show that we really like, I'm like, oh, you know, let's dance. Yeah, that's um, great. Move your body. I, I also have down, um, and this is sort of work, but sort of personal related. Every day I have consume and create. So I, I consume and create. Consume and create. So I take something in and I put something out. And even if that is like, a two-line rhyming couplet poem, right? Or like whatever it is, or just an idea that sparked in my mind when I was reading an article, and I was like, I "Oh, it. this!" So I consume something, you know, not food. Um, <laughs> yeah, something that nourishes my mind. But I consume and create. Oh, I love that one. I've never heard that, and and up. that works well for my energy. My <laughs> you know my style of, of working so because I get triggered with things and I need to act on them and if I put them off then they'll never happen but I, I that's an, that's an intentional thing to do and I like that I like that it's so intentional let's share it with the world consume and create all right thank you for sharing yeah I, I love the break idea uh, the breaks idea uh, I, I think that most organizations, people who work in corporations and, and other businesses don't really have permission for breaks. And I think we need to do that more often. The other day I noticed that I was having some kind of like um, un, un, uh, undesirable energy going on within my body. It was like frustration irritation or I, I don't even know exactly what it was and I just thought okay I need to stop and so I put the dog on the leash and walked him down the street and by the time I got back it was gone and it was you know it, 10 minutes if that you know and I think that we need to step away from things sometimes to gain perspective to gain you know to gain a new uh, um, and, and just break that energy pattern that was there because all it will do is escalate yeah I've done a little work around this mm -hmm. um, because you're, you're exactly right that not everybody can step away. And I mean, I, I work with nurses, I work with teachers. Um, they cannot just step away. Um, but I think that all of us, many of us, almost everybody I talk to, feels like we should be able to control our stress better. But yeah, aren't we? happens when you're stressed is that your brain floods your body with adrenaline and cortisol. We're talking about our little caveman ancestors. We have them to thank for this, right? So adrenaline and cortisol floods into your system. And as long as you're, so I, I, uh, I use the analogy, stop, drop, and roll, right? So the, that's what the firefighters come into your kindergarten class. You stop, drop, and roll. So it's the same thing that works when you're literally on fire. You can take that and remember what to do when you are figuratively on fire. Um, you stop. So stop whatever you're doing. So, you know, that, because you, if you don't stop, then you're still pushing the panic button that's feeding the adrenaline and cortisol through your system. So just stop what you're doing. And again, that doesn't mean if you're a teacher, stop teaching. 
but like if you're up if you're battling with a student if you're you know mm -hmm. do, do something yeah. different drop. do something yeah. different. Yeah. and then drop i equate that to drop back into a lower gear so if you can get up and you know take a walk mm -hmm. around the block or have a coffee break or you know do a sudoku puzzle or you know whatever it is that you want to do great if you can't then what you need to do is just take a moment because you've stopped pushing the panic button that's feeding the adrenaline and cortisol but adrenaline and cortisol still actually lasts in your system it doesn't flush out immediately right. um so as doctors uh, the, the doctors that i read on this say 24 hours oh really yes but not, it's not like we can just like oh what's 20 i got 20 words i can't do anything i gotta you know no 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 but like the worst is over in a few minutes, mm -hmm. right? So it, do you have the opportunity to do something else for five minutes, like a walk around the block to give that adrenaline and cortisol, the worst of it, the time to flush out of your system? If you can't, if you're a surgeon, if you're a teacher, you know, then you have to be aware for that five minutes. You've got to keep yourself dropped into that lower gear, knowing that for five minutes, that adrenaline and cortisol has blocked the higher order cognitive processing in your brain. You are functioning on a caveman brain. And then you can roll forward and pick back up with what you're intending to do. And then I always say the key is you got to do it with that internal locus of control that we already talked about. Right. That makes tense of sense. Absolutely. Yeah. So you yeah. stop, you stop, drop and roll. So you, you did it by walking around the block. You were like, Absolutely. You can't do this anymore. So you stopped and dropped and then you rolled. Exactly. And it may be that you just needed to, your, your drop might be just turn your attention to something else for a little while. Yes. Or, right. Or it may be consciously saying, okay, whoa, step back. You know, let me, oh, let me put the brakes on here because I've been on that button for too long. You know, yeah. I'm going, you know, I, I can't get off of this train of thought that's right. frustrating me. Exactly. 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 Well, wow. This is um, this has been so much fun to talk with you about all this stuff because it's stuff I'm interested in too, and 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 will be really beneficial to those that that watch this podcast. It's super relevant right now, just with everything that's going on in the world. I know we all feel a little powerless because yeah, we do we can't get back to you know work as we know it, life as we know it. Yeah, that's a whole nother subject. <laughs> yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> well, Notice I didn't say normal. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate yeah, that. Nothing, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'll say I want that old normal back. I want a new normal. I want. A I think that's great. Yeah. So tell me what's next on tap for you. What What are you working on that you're excited about, or or what's up? What's up? You mentioned a book earlier. Another book. Yes. Well, in the future, there'll be another book. So really what I'm so excited about right now is this concept of adaptive thinking. Um, because so many people ask me, you know, how do I get more resilient or how do I help other people get more resilient? And um, I think that adaptive thinking is an excellent way to help people become more resilient. Um, right now in this world, I think organizations need adaptive thinking more than ever. Um, and so what I've been working on is this, this way to build this culture of adaptive thinking 
into organizations so that they can adapt to change even faster and also longer term. Uh, a lot of times companies get frustrated, like change management strategies are kind of slow and incremental sometimes. To, to the employees, they can feel very top down. And adaptive thinking is actually something that's really organic. It's often very bottom up. Um, and I think it, it really, when I have watched companies put some of these strategies into play, they may not even realize that they're doing it, but put some of these strategies into play over the past two months, those are the companies that are already finding success, even in this crazy world of 2020. Um, and so I think that these, this is a method that's got a lot of teeth um, because adaptability is going to be the word in 2020 and 2021. I think you're right. And it's, it's certainly something everyone needs. Everyone, whether yeah. you're a solopreneur or, you know, a small business owner or a large corporation, I can see this, uh, the, the, the scale of this reaching everywhere. You know, it just, it, there's, everyone needs it. It's just, right. Yeah. Right. And, and it's, it has applications. So there's three domains where you can develop adaptive thinking in your brain, in your behavior, and in your business. So organizationally, um, and you can use all of these strategies, but the best part is the strategies are very simple. So we already, we talked about what else, right? That, you know, we, we can ask the question, what else? It turns out that there, there's a right number of times to ask what else the more you ask yourself what else, the better it is. Um, because, like we talked about that, you know, the first idea that pops into your mind, the first solution to a problem is the most similar to things you've already done. They have proven that the longer, for example, a brainstorming session goes on, mm -hmm. um, that the longer people work on a problem, the more innovative solutions come up later. The better solutions come up later because they've exhausted the more status quo type of uh, examples. So that's when they start to get, you know, later in the process, that's when people are getting really creative or they're putting things together like, well, what about this and this? Oh, that would be. Um, and and I, I realized that that really bore a similarity to something that I experienced when I was first diagnosed with cancer. So, you know, 26 years old, have not made any major medical decisions in my life at that point. Um, and I'm sitting there just mind boggled. What am I, am I going to live? Right. Am I going to see my 27th birthday? What is happening? And the nurse came in and she asked if I had any questions and, you know, if, if I had made a decision as to which which option I was going to pick for my treatment. And I just said, I, 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 there's, I, she gave me too many options. I, I don't even know what to do. There's, there's just too much to think about. And the nurse, her name was Effie. She said, well, he gave you four options and there's a reason for that. And I said, oh, well, well, because I have four choices. And she said, well, yeah, but um, a lot of people, a lot of doctors give three options. A lot of people expect three options. And what we have found is that if we give three options, then people tend to choose the one that they perceive as the middle option. 
that, you know, this one's too radical. Oh, that one's too conservative. So, you know, I'll probably, I'll just pick this one here in the middle. This is probably the safest. This is probably what most people choose. So, you know, I don't want to do this, this one. He may, maybe he doesn't do all of this radical stuff all the time or that one too. And so we tend to lean towards the middle. That's just our brain plays that little trick on us. So I call it, um, now I call it the Goldilocks paradox. That if we give three options, if we're given three options in a difficult situation, we're not going to make a very wise choice. Not that it's the wrong choice, but we're not thinking <laughs> when we make the choice. And so having four options to choose from, five options to choose from, we automatically then have to think more critically than if we have three, if we have too few options, then the choice gets made for us and we don't think enough about it. So, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta get over that Goldilocks paradox and you have to ask what else at least enough times to generate four good options for yourself because that's the best way to solve the problem. Well, and in my early training, I remember uh, talking, learning about brainstorming and they say some of the best uh, brainstorming doesn't occur until 20 minutes in. And so, really? Yes. And some of the best uh, barking doesn't occur until <laughs> Hey, it's real life. We've Welcome all to my world. You know, um, one moment, please. We were talking about the Goldilocks paradox. Right, the Goldilocks paradox and that whole brainstorming. And then there is a guy by the name of um, Gay Hendricks. And he talks about in his book, which is the name of it. Gay Hendricks talks about saying, I wonder, hmm. And the hmm activates a different, a different part of your brain. It, it, it's, the, it's like a frequency thing. Or, you know, saying om if you're oming. But by either using om, I wonder, or hmm, sorry, hmm, I wonder, or I wonder, hmm. It, it, it sets the brain up to look for an answer. Cool. Oh, fascinating to me. Uh, and I have used it and come up with some very interesting insights when I've used it. And things that I wouldn't have gotten like on the surface, surface of my mind, you know, the things that would immediately come to you. It, it was much deeper and richer and more valuable and a better solution to whatever the problem was. So that I wonder, hmm, and just sit with it. And you can just, hmm, you know, and keep, hmm, and again, it activates that place in your brain that, that kind of brings everything to the surface. That's so interesting, because I feel like you see, hmm, written in books, but like, do you hear anybody say that in real life? But clearly, it has value. It has value. Yeah, it's more than, I'm wondering, you know, or whatever. <laughs> There's something to it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, I love that. I think it's this has helped me so much just doing this research and I'm so excited to help other people because it has truly helped me think about how am I approaching problems and difficulties um, and, and really getting to better answers that then helps me be more successful because so in the research what popped up with this whole you know 
what else, what else, um, and you know, getting at least four options was something came up um, about how, what they teach you in um, addiction counseling. So they, they teach recovering addicts a, this concept called first thought wrong. First thought wrong? First thought wrong. Okay. Meaning, in particular, I guess, when you have been living in the world of addiction, but I think it's true for a lot of us, that you know, an idea pops into your head. Like we were talking about earlier about how, you know, oh, this person must have meant thus and such. Um, you know, that something pops into your head and you latch onto it and you're like, yep, that's what they meant. Or that's the only way to solve that problem, whatever it is. Um, and, you know, you get an idea and you're like, oh, yep, I, 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 I'm going to grab onto that idea and ride the train with it. And so you're taught first thought wrong. Whatever first jumps into your head, maybe that's not the best way to handle it. Maybe that's not the best assumption to make or conclusion to jump to. Um, and I love that because I think that has applications for all of us. That if we really want to excel, then we have to assume that our first thought could be wrong that our first thought only scratches the surface and doesn't go deep enough. So I think, I think that's fascinating. And, and that combined with, I wonder, hmm, yep. would be interesting to play with and see what other kinds of ideas you get and yep. where it takes you. Because if, if you go, well, maybe that's not the best idea, that first idea, you know, and you say, I wonder, hmm, I wonder what will follow. I'm going to try it and see what happens. I love it. Yeah. Love it. Well, let's wrap up our session today. I want to thank you so much. This has been great. I think we should do this more often. Even uh, should Maybe a little wine. <laughs> I like that too. <laughs> and I just want to thank you again for taking the time and sharing your expertise. I know this is going to be a benefit to a number of people who are watching it and who are longing for greater resilience. And I'm going to put some of those same techniques to, to work myself. So I want to thank all of you who've listened today and watched. And if you liked what we had, please give us a five-star rating and then review us and then share this podcast with your friends because we're trying to help, help people out all over the world. And the only way that we can do that is for us to share, care and share, share and care, or whatever the right order of that is. But um, so be sure to join us next week. We'll have a new guest with some new information that I am sure will float your boat and teach you something new or at least make you think. So until next time, this is Cheryl Jones with simplythebestresults.com and Miss Courtney Clark, which by the way, I forgot to ask Courtney, tell us how we can get in touch with you. Sure. You can find me on my website, Courtney at CourtneyClark.com. That's pretty easy. I think I'm, here. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> Of course not. <laughs> At least not for now. All right. Thanks again. Goodbye, everybody.